1: What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Fay. With me as always, Jack Manuel and Jack, another Nets loss tonight to the Kings, 101-96. How are we doing?
2: Frustrated, Nick. This one could have been a W.
1: Yeah. I think it was a much needed W. Obviously loss in OKC, a team that you feel like the Nets could compete with and didn't really play their best game. You know, even without having a great first half, there was a real opportunity in that second half to steal this game. The Nets couldn't do it. We're gonna jump into that and plenty more. Make sure you check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also give us a follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzzpod. But Jack, where do we start?
2: Nick, where did things go wrong for the Nets? You know, a five point loss to Sacramento Kings coming off a back to back You think things are going to go well. The Nets start the game pretty well. But then that second quarter, things start to fall apart a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think looking at the way the game started, in the first three minutes, the score was like 11 to 9. And it felt like this was going to be some type of shootout. There was going to be a ton of scoring from both sides. Really slowed down. First quarter finished twenty-four twenty-four. 24-24. Second quarter, the Nets really fell apart. Kings outplayed them 30 to 17, and it felt very similar to that third quarter in OKC. And even though the Nets did enough in that second half, that second quarter really came back to bite them.
2: Yeah, the Nets shot six to 23 from the field in that second quarter, 26.1 percent. And Mikael Bridges took two of those 23 shots. And it's a, a, a re- recurring theme on the buzz and the recurring theme for Nets fans in terms of Mikhail Bridges getting more touches, getting more run. It's just, it's, and he started the game so bloody well yet again. Like his rhythm is out of sight. And it's just like, just let this man cook, man. Like he's, he's our Kawhi. He's our KD. Like this guy should be just running things. Like get the ball out of Spencer's hands every now and then.
1: Yeah, I think also, like I've mentioned before, running plays for him to kind of create an advantage for him. And rather than like what they did somewhat in the fourth is just kind of throwing the ball and told him to create. I think the Nets need to lean into more of an offensive identity and starting to have like an actual plan when they come down the court because it felt like so many times you mentioned you know Spencer over dribbling the basketball guys not really knowing where to be not playing with a level of urgency when the nets offense was successful in this game it's when they played with a level of pace and that's not just pushing in transition that's even in the half court sets you know pushing hard and playing with urgency and that was really inconsistent i felt like the effort tonight wasn't 100% for four quarters and that's what the nets need with the talent level they have
2: yeah, and the Sacramento Kings are, are certainly no scrubs like they were in seasons past. Fifteen games above five hundred now, they're one of the top teams in the West. So you can't just expect to turn up at home and and get things going and think it's all gonna win and you know not do the little things, not you know execute in in, in half court sets as you're alluding to, and it's it's just a, a little bit frustrating because the okc game there was some opportunities there apart from like you know a 10 to 15 minute lapse and then it was the same sort of thing tonight where it's just like little lapses you know against teams that are decent enough the nets aren't good enough you know, Mikael bridges might be but they don't have enough talent on the roster to make that many lapses in their game
1: yeah it's hard for them to really come back you know other than some crazy you know spicy shooting performance or something like that so when when they have one of these bad quarters against a good team it's going to be tough to win. And like you said, Sacramento is a really good team this season. You know, OKC is a solid to good team, but Sacramento is very good. But Sacramento on a second out of a back to back didn't shoot well in this game and really just found other ways to win and grind out the game. You know, you look at second chance points as a key indicator a lot for this team. Sacramento 16 to zero. The Nets had zero second chance points, um, fast break points. ESPN had the Nets at zero Uh NBA.com has them at two, but 11 to two. So those are two areas and that's got beaten very badly. And typically, you know, obviously some of that's going to be some bonus with the second chance points. But you'd like to see a few more offensive rebounds and a f- few more like hustle plays that get you a transition bucket.
2: Yeah, free throws as well. 23 for the Nets, 32 for the Sacramento Kings. Yeah, three indicators there where. The Nets got you know outplayed by nine, ten points here or there, and in a five-point game, those things do matter. And I think Sabonis is you know all NBA caliber center. You know sometimes guys are just as good as they are. But I thought there was some decent defense in the second half by the likes yep. like Royce O'Neill and and that sort of thing. I think Clax was sort of getting dragged around a little bit. You know he's playing drop. The switching was uh, a, a little bit different to what when we're, we're used to from the Nets because of the the handoff game that Sabonis likes to run a lot with Herter and some of the other guys. Even though Herder did get injured, so. I just think that the Nets had an okay game plan. I don't think they executed enough. I don't think they, you know, did enough to you know, make things tough for the likes of Aaron Fox and Demontis Bonus. Those guys are, you know, all NBA caliber players. You know, we've got Mikael Bridges, Spencer Dinwiddie, Cam Johnson, and and Nick Claxton. Those guys aren't on the same sort of caliber. So you need to execute when you have the ball on both ends of the floor.
1: Yeah. And there was also multiple opportunities in the fourth quarter where the Nets generated some really good looks from three, you know, Seth Curry missed. I think Royce O'Neal had two misses. Cam Johnson had a miss. Mikel Bridges, I think, had two misses. They were able to generate the looks to make the comeback, but they weren't able to execute the shooting or execute the hustle plays. And like I mentioned, you know, you said Sabonis, he was awesome. You know, he had 24 points, 21 rebounds and five assists and four blocks. But really, the rest of the Kings, they didn't get a ton of production. It was a lot of Sabonis. And like you mentioned, you know, all NBA type guy. But again, there is an opportunity to win this game and get a really nice win to start your homestand.
2: Yeah. And, and thankfully, the Nets, I think, only have three more games on the road. So read into that what you will, if that bodes well for them going forward. Obviously, the Knicks and the Heat, the Heat have uh, had a nice little win the other night as well. The Knicks, you know, hopefully for the for their sake, Jalen Brunson is back soon. So it's going to be a bit of a dog fight for for five to seven. But in, in saying that, Nick,
1: should we get into some of the players tonight and, and discuss their performances? Yeah, just one last note, Jack. I think the Nets end up in the plan scenario. You'll look to these two games as opportunities where the Nets probably should have been able to pull one away. You know, obviously, they're both good teams, but they should have been able an opportunity to probably win one of these games, and they didn't.
2: Yeah, I think Mikael Bridges said the other day about you know the the execution in in for sustained periods and yep. hitting shots and playing defense for sustained periods. It's the difference between you know average teams, good teams, very good teams to great teams. And the Nets are certainly not a great team by any stretch of the margin. They're somewhere on the those lesser tiers, and they need to execute, you know, the the simple things and take care of the ball and all those different things to be able to. You know, win some of these games and you know that maybe they shouldn't have won the nuggets game but you know they certainly should have won at least uh, you'd be happy with a split out of okc sacramento at the very least but they should have won both as well you could make make a credible argument for that
1: i would say if they played with the same energy they played against denver with they would have won these last two games or at least one of them especially tonight but obviously you move on to the next one but who do you want to start with jack
2: Let's start with Brooklyn Bridges, Nick. 35 minutes for him. 7-17 from the field. 2-7 from 3. 7-8 from the free throw line. Again, a number I continue to love. 4 rebounds, 2 assists, a steal. Only the one turnover. Frees 23 points. Like, I... Well, it feels like the analysis is getting a little bit dry and repetitive from us, Nick, about Mikael Bridges and his efficiencies, lack of touches, the lack of offensive creativity to get the ball into his hands. You know, there's stretches where he's just like sitting in the corner. It's just like and the awareness from you know, the leaders within our team is startling, it feels at times.
1: Yeah, it just feels like there's not always a plan or it's just kind of a go out there and play basketball. And you can see the difference when they do call those plays. You know, you know, looking at some positives from Mikel, obviously wasn't his best night from three. Had a really nice reverse layup in this game. Had a really nice and one where he created the contact and finished. I think another thing I've noticed with him is the more reps he gets driving to the rim, you know, the more he's going to grow in that area, it's obviously he's had enough drives in his NBA career, but it's different in the position that he's in now. So he can really take that next step. But there's a lot of progress. And I think, again, you have to lean into your best player more when you're struggling offensively rather than getting to some of that stagnant stretches where, you know, it just doesn't look like good basketball. I think in the second quarter it was really just some painful offense to watch.
2: Yeah, and as I alluded to, Mikhail only took two shots in that quarter. I mean, just give him yeah. three or four more shots, let him create something. He's your best three-level scorer. He can do something with the ball in his hands. His, his handle isn't as good as Spencer DiMity, But I sort of think back to the Knicks game, Nick, where you know that was a disastrous loss. And Mikhail Bridges and Jacques Vaughn, they were all sort of saying, like these plays that were getting run for Katie and Kyrie can run for us. And it's just like, it feels like Jacques Vaughn's gotten so away from that now. And it's just like, well, Spencer... You figure it out. You're the the lead facilitator and such, and because you get the good and the bad from Spencer Dimwitty, you're riding right the coattails of that inconsistency, rather than, you know, a Michael Bridges who I think even at his worst isn't gonna be an an overtly emotional sort of guy. I don't think emotion is a bad thing. I'm not saying that, but. You know, Spencer even said the other day, you know, on Twitter when he was responding to a couple of Nets fans that he said he has to be better. Mikhail Bridges just seems to be a more steadying force and like he is the leader of this team. Let's act like he is and let that guy have twenty-five shots a bloody night.
1: Yeah. And like I mentioned before, I, I think Mikel could also be more aggressive in calling for the ball and kind of, you know, stating his claim. But based off of what we know about his personality, that's not necessarily something he's going to do. So we'll see how that kind of evolves moving forward. And like you mentioned, you know, they're riding Spencer Dinwiddie in a role that is probably above his level of talent. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful way. You and I talk about all the time. You know, this is a guy being asked to play in a superstar role and really run the offense and do everything out there. And when he struggles, the team struggles. And he's been poor the last two games. The Nets have lost those two games, and they've had some really bad offensive stretches because he's their point guard, and he's the guy who is really dictating a ton of the offense. Six
2: of 15 from the field, three of seven from three, three of eight from the free throw, a normally pretty positive free throw shooter, something like eighty-five percent yeah, for and that's just, you know, an aberration, you know, you'd like to think. Seven assists, three boards, two steals, only the two turnovers. Did have a block as well for his eighteen points. You know, the box score doesn't look half bad, but in thirty-eight minutes of time, the efficiency and the nuances of when you watch Spencer play, it's just like uh, you, you sort of you know grind your teeth just a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think my biggest pet peeve uh right now with watching Spencer is obviously everyone would think it's the fouling and complaining stuff. It's his, like, lackadaisical bring up the basketball. Like, he's just very lax and just continually waste seconds on the shot clock, especially, like, late in this game where the Nets are down, like, 8 or 10, and you need to really push the pace, even if it's 2 or 3 seconds, especially when the offense isn't finding rhythm instantly. It's just, like, those seconds matter. And I think at times you could hear Vaughn be like, pick up the pace, pick up the pace. You see him on the sideline, and it's just like, dude, we need to move because we need to come back and win this game. We are down.
2: Yeah, I think every second matters for a team that doesn't have an isolation superstar to just go, here, cook for something, cook. Cook something for us Bad in the shot makers.
1: Like the Nets don't really have those guys right now in a consistent role. And like a Kyrie and a KD, obviously we're used to that, can instantly save your offense because they're so good or they instantly can create an advantage where the Nets don't necessarily have that guy. Mikel's developing into that guy, but he's not, you know, full prime Mikel Bridges right now.
2: Yeah. All 24 seconds matter. Like yeah. it's, 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 it's as simple as that. And and Spencer needs to push the pace more. The nets just look better as well. Like yeah. when Utah came in, there was a, a bit of a spark, a bit of a jolt, a bit of a, a bit more pace, a bit more purpose. And spencer when he looks his best is playing with pace aggressiveness and purpose you know he's he's attacking the rim you know he, he's taking his sort of side step three there's certain patented spencer moves that you just know and yeah it was good to see him get to the free throw line and look. Well, he makes those five free throws and is eight of eight from the free throw line and the nets go into ot but i think that there's he's still struggling to find the balance and Look, overall, you'd rather have this team being led by Spencer Dinwiddie than a lot of other point guards in the NBA. But he's not in that tier of elite point guards where it's just like, my guy, you should have a 35 usage, you should be running everything, you should be creating for everyone and everyone and anyone and everyone. But look, it's just a little bit frustrating because I think we've seen when you've seen the positive of Spencer Dinwiddie and you're getting the negative and you're getting that combination too much within you know a 38, 35-minute performance, whatever it is, however many, it's, however many minutes he plays. It's just like, look, we got a 16-assist game from him the other night. We're getting all these different things from him. And it's just like, you want him to be steadier because he yeah. is one of the leaders on this team. And we need steady Spence, not over-the-top Spence and not overly aggressive Spence in terms of getting his own, not overly dribbly Spence, not slow Spence. Like, we need... Just just steady Spence. We need steady Spence.
1: Yeah, I think also, like you mentioned, Jack, it's almost like so many players on the team like look to him to do things and create things and be essentially that leader on the floor. And when he's emotional or when he's not playing with pace, I feel like it definitely impacts the rest of the team. And like I said, this is a lot of pressure on this guy. He's not – you know, ideally the number one player in a championship team. He's more like a third or fourth option on one of those teams. And not to say he's not a good player, but again, they're just asking him to play a role that I don't think, you know, puts him in the best position to succeed and also can in a way hamper some of his teammates.
2: Yeah, look, Spencer, I think he's smart enough to figure it out. He's got a good self awareness to him, but I think that's, you know, basketball and sport in general is an emotional business. So I think that he will figure out those nuances. I think Jacques Vaughn needs to put him in positions where he can recognize that a little bit better. I I just think that there needs to be better, betterment all around from Spencer, Jacques, and, and the rest of the guys. But ultimately, like, it's just it's frustrating and i think that yeah. it's emblematic of the team right now just a level of frustration with the lack of execution or the poor execution or the the lack of urgency all those things that you were alluding to as well nick
1: yeah and like obviously we want spencer to succeed we want him to be the best version of himself on this team and like you've mentioned we've seen him do some really good things hopefully he can get back to that and obviously a big reason for his frustration is the lack of calls he gets And I think Jacques Vaughn even came out and said, you know, he probably should have shot 16 free throws against OKC. So I think that adds to it. And I feel like at times he's getting in his head and allowing that to impact his play on the court a little bit. And maybe he is blacklisted because he came out and got a referee in trouble last season. And obviously that's a brotherhood for those guys. And sometimes it really feels that way watching him play.
2: Yeah, I think that the there the needs to be, like, whether Spencer wants to do a Fred Van Vliet or Jacques Vaughn wants to do a, a or Sean Marks wants to do, you know, a Philadelphia postseason sort of thing where he goes into the locker room and just, like, berates the, the sort of officials and stuff. That can change things, you know, maybe just one little thing, you know, Jacques Vaughn gets a tech or. I I just wanted to be taken out of Spencer's hands because it feels like he feels like the world, the weight of the world's on his shoulders sort of there. He got the time
1: today, and it just felt like that negatively impacted him for the rest of the game to an extent. Yeah, there's,
2: there's players that need that sort of high level of emotion and like Draymond Green is a guy that sort of springs to mind and to, to some extent Luca as well. He likes to complain a lot, but some of that time it feeds him and like he takes it out on on his opponents. For Spencer, it feels like it negatively affects him more than than anything else. There's times where it can be a positive effect, but I think for the most part it is a negative effect on his game.
1: Yeah, especially the way that he plays and the way he drives to the rim and you really uses and extends his limbs. And when you're getting fouled and you're extending your arm, it's obviously going to have an impact if you're able to make the shot or not. But who do you want to talk about next, Jack? Should we get into Clax City, Nick? Yeah, I think uh, this was really a mixed bag for Clax. A lot of hot and cold. uh, Finished with 14 points, 6 of 11 from the field, 2 of 2 from the free throw line, 14 rebounds, 2 offensive, 1 assist, 1 steal, 2 blocks. We know Sabonis is not a great matchup for him. Sabonis able to really move Nick Claxton. And I think the Nets played a lot of drop in this game. And puts a lot of pressure on Claxton to be perfect in that role because so many guys on the Nets get caught up on screens. And now he gets caught in this in between because, you know, he's not necessarily leaning to one way or the other. I thought in the second half, though, he picked up his energy and intensity, was able to get a couple nice finishes, too.
2: Yeah, like a 14 14 game is pretty bloody good from Claxton. He's had, I think that's now two double doubles in a row from him. He's he's putting them up like it's no one else's business in only the, the 32 minutes. And I think. Clax is is a switchable big. You know, yeah. That the the defensive scheme is is around that. It's like Brook Lopez is a drop big, or yep. you know, A lot of these other guys, you know, are, are drop bigs. Rudy Gobert drop big. Whereas Clax's, you know, best skill set is when he's allowed to roam. He's better at guarding probably De'Aaron Fox than he is at guarding DeMontas Sabonis. And Royce O'Neal might be a better matchup. And Dorian Finney-Smith might be a better matchup for for some of these guys, but. In saying that, I think Clax's talent and and just in, in, on both ends of the floor, you know, he, he can. Uh, I just still think it's just overwhelmingly positive for the Nets. And look, only he had the four fouls, still had the, the two blocks as well. You know, hit both of his free throws. Plus two. Uh, so play, yeah, and and I think you know Sabonis isn't a good matchup for many bigs in the league, but Clax uh, especially.
1: Yeah, and he still found a way to I think have positive impact on the game. Like I said, it wasn't his best game, but I thought there was enough pop in that second half. In the four fouls I think obviously impacted him too on some of his, you know, shot block attempts, you know, being a little bit more finesse and lacking a little bit of physicality on some of those. But overall, you know, he played good enough for the Nets to win the game.
2: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt I think, you know, him and Mikhail, even though McHale was a like both of those if you're getting lesser performances from Michael Bridges, Nick Claxon, Spencer Dimwoody... It's going to be tough for the Nets to sort of get the Cam win. And Cam
1: Johnson and Dorian Finney-Smith. Like, none of the starters really played well. Like, not – I don't know if I'd say any net that played significant minutes tonight played well. Yeah, like,
2: you're giving them six out of tens, you know, if we're, yeah. we're doing sort of ratings uh, uh, around it. So, like, you know, in, in saying that, though, Nick, you know, oh, there's a part of me that just wants to get into you to right now because we finally got to see him as well as Edmund Sumner. But maybe you want to go somewhere else first.
1: Yeah, i just say touch on Cam Johnson. I think this is just some of the weird stuff that happens with Cam Johnson. Sometimes, like in OKC, he felt really involved handling the basketball, a little aggressive attacking the rim, and then tonight, you know, 11 attempts. There was just plays where it just stretches where he didn't feel really super involved in the offense, and I think that gets back to the lack of identity of a team and just, like, almost unknown roles, and maybe that's for the guys to figure out since it's a new group or maybe it's more so on the coach depending on the perspective you have, but it's just not – fully in sync yet and obviously that's not going to happen overnight but it it needs to happen sooner than later if the nets want to make the playoffs
2: yeah i think i heard a little bit on the s yes network jacques vaughn saying like he's feeling out the identity of this team how he is going to manage them, because how you manage these guys is different than how you would manage the KD Kyrie led teams and you know going forward so i think that there is an identity still being formed we know what it probably should be it feels like the coaches know, for the most part, what it should be, but they're not. And I think the players aren't executing as well. You know, I think yeah. that there's just there's there's lapses, and I don't think you know talent you know overrides uh, some of the mistakes when you have talent on your team. And the the talent that the Neds do have, and you know the, the two best players in, in Mikhail Bridges, Spencer DiMore, you throw Nick Claxton in there, you know none of them were you. You're a team that's if you superstars play well. I, you know, what DeMontis Sabonis did for the Kings tonight, you're close to going to get a win. Yeah, The Nets didn't have any of their top three guys playing well, and as you alluded to, four and five, maybe even six and seven.
1: Yeah, it's just like not enough guys played well, and there was still probably room to win this game. I think that's what even makes it frustrating, is just with more hustle and energy and doing more of the dirty work and getting to Utah that's what he did. He came in the game. He did some of those small things, brought some pretty good energy. Nets went on a run with, he came in only had two points, but sometimes it's just the vibes and just the small things that a player can do that have a positive impact. And not to say that he's this, you know, all NBA type player or anything like that, but bring energy off the bench is something he and Sumner can do.
2: Yeah. I think, I don't know why it's taken so long for, to see one or both of these guys. And, it's just frustrating again. Like it seems to me that the 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 key topic that we're talking about here and the key feeling is just a feeling of frustration because we've seen what Utah can bring. We've seen what Sumner can bring. Both of these guys bring an intangible spark that can light up a team that is full of role players. When they, things get a little bit lackadaisical, you get a three from Utah, you get a dunk, or you get a three from Edmund Sumner, and things just start to ignite a little bit. And I think we need extended stretches for Yuta Watson Abe and or Edmund Sumner. You know, I, I want Jacques Vaughn to be a bit more creative and experimental. Both of those guys, you had seven minutes, Edmondson had nine minutes, but both of them, in their minutes that they were out there, provided positive stretches for themselves as well as the team. You know, th- those guys are the the perfect sort of fifth guys that you want out there to just go, "I'll make the right decision. I'll be out there hustling. I'll be running both ends of the floor. If I get the ball to me, I'll swing it or straight away. I'll make the quick decision." Whereas, you know, as we alluded to with Spencer, it's just like there's a, a delay in processing time whereas both of these guys for for bad and good sometimes can be you know overtly just eager and that eagerness can be have a positive impact on the
1: team. Yeah, I think especially Sumner, you know, he had a play in this game where he had a turnover but he was being aggressive and I think sometimes it, the team just needs that aggression. Ryuda, I think He has a role on this team probably in the rotation, especially if they want to go small with DFS at center. They need to have more size around him, be it Uda, be it Royce. You know, just have length to, you know, kind of help DFS down low, especially on the boards. And Sumner, I think I would use more as like, all right, we're going to throw him in there tonight to bring in the energy because we're kind of playing dead, Where he could be kind of on and off in the rotation. But I think Uda, there's definitely a spot for him. And I think I'd hear an argument for Sumner as well. It's just Seth Curry has been, you know, playing pretty well lately.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I I think, as you alluded to with Utah, Utah Utah-Royce-DFS, Utah-Cam-DFS, like... That's a front court that you can go, cool, there's a bit of size there. Those guys can rebound, those guys can hang on some bigs. And that lessens the burden because look, we might get into some Moses Brown talk towards the end of the pod, but you know, Moses Brown Nurlands Noel. These guys I would rather see Yuta Watsonabe at the five, DFS, you know, at the five, where the support is there. And we saw that Yuta can provide it. Yeah, he's not the perfect defender, but he's your ninth. This is you know sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth guy coming off the bench. You don't need him to be perfect. You just want him to be good enough. And he is more than good enough.
1: Yeah, and he plays with effort and energy on the end of the floor. And that's a large majority of successful defense. You know, obviously not necessarily the best athlete in the world, but he has good length out there too. Uh, a guy that came off the bench, and obviously a guy that we're big supporters of had a very rough night was Cam Thomas. Not able to really knock down a shot, and it just felt very out of flow, out of rhythm. And I think that's n- not super surprising given his minutes have been inconsistent. And I think his, you know, confidence level within his role in the team has been kind of all over the place.
2: Yeah, it's weird because the leash that's spent, like Spencer makes a lot of mistakes, Cam makes a lot of mistakes. I think Cam's mistakes are more pronounced because in limited time when you see, you know, three missed shots in six minutes compared to, you know, nine missed shots in, in 38 minutes and you know, two turnovers and etc. I, I'm not saying that you know Cam should have the leash that Spencer Dinwiddie has by no means. Spencer Dinwiddie's a better player than Cam Thomas. But I just think that the Cam Thomas discussion in general has an element of toxicity to it. Like there's this new discourse on Nets Twitter and I'm maybe a part of it because I'm just high on Cam Thomas and his talent. But at the same time, now the Nets seem to be going all in on winning. And, you know, look, Seth Curry's now starting to play a little bit better and, and is obviously healthy. And look, Yuta Watanabe, Edmund Sumner. these guys are probably better than Cam Thomas in terms of providing winning basketball. Can you find some moments of Cam Thomas out there? Yeah, maybe. But I, I just think that Cam is – Cam's got a lot of talent and I don't I'm, – I'm, some of it is on him. Something is definitely on the coaches not being able to nourish and nurture a guy that's put up three forty pieces this season. I think both things can be right, Nick. Uh, there can be you know responsibility across the board, but man, like a, a guy that's put up forty pieces, you know, alongside the likes of like Devin Booker and you know Stephen Curry, these sort of guys, that's that's some special stuff. And look, Cam Thomas was far from special tonight, but he has special in him.
1: Yeah, obviously there's some disconnect between Cam Thomas and the coaching staff, maybe even the front office. We don't really know the full details on that situation, but you would think the Nets would find a way to try to utilize him to get some scoring. But also if he's not playing well, you know, then don't play him in the rest of the game. And I think that's fair. I think uh, a lot of people, myself included, just want to see Cam get opportunities. You know, if he doesn't play well, don't play him. That's okay. Like tonight he was bad and that's okay. You know, he's a young player. He's a second year player. He's not going to instantly be good. And his minutes have been just really, his minutes and his role have been S- super different like they've been in high contrast one night he'll come in and he'll have the ball you know 25 percent of the time another you know night he might come in and get three shots like he did tonight
2: yeah and that's the the frustrating thing you know the the inconsistencies and you know finding a role within a team so look we'll, we'll see what cam's role is like going forward I'm, I'm my guess is as good as yours nick about what it will be
1: yeah, I mean, I don't think anyone. I don't even think Jock Vaughn really knows what his role is going to be at this point in time. Um, he's going to have to earn it and probably make more of those hustle plays and you know play better defensively as well. I thought he made some mistakes on that end of the floor too.
2: Yeah, he he's not a good defensive player to say the least. But look, we can have the Cam discussion, Cam Thomas discussion till the cows come home, Nick. What other guys did you want to get into? What other game notes did you want to get into?
1: Yeah, Royce O'Neal was really good post defense on Savonis. It's kind of amazing how good of a post defender Royce O'Neal is and how strong he really is. Like, kudos to him for what he can do out there with a very unique skill set. Other than that, I I didn't really have much to say. Joe Harris didn't do much. Seth Curry knocked down a couple shots, you know, was able to contribute off the bench. But really not much after that, as we mentioned. Doreen Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, not really their best games.
2: How are you feeling about the next sort of mini stretch, Nick? Where it's Nuggets, Cavs, Cavs, Heat—like four-game stretch right there—could define the next season.
1: Yeah, I think it will define the next season. That's a that's a tough stretch. That's you know four good teams. Obviously, Denver still struggling, but beating them twice in seven days—not going to be easy. You know, do you they're think they're coming off a
2: back-to-back as well? Aren't they versus the Knicks the night before?
1: They are. Yeah. They did beat Detroit by nine points, um, but they're still not playing great basketball. But it's still, it's just hard for me to be like, yeah, the Nets are going to beat the best, the number one seed in the Western Conference, you know, twice in the same week or twice in eight days, whatever you want to look at it like. And then I think Cleveland, you know, best case scenario there, you're probably looking to split. And Miami knows they need this game. And I think Miami is better than the record when they want to be. The problem is, is they're really inconsistent. So if the Nets go two and two in this four game stretch, I think that, be a level of success.
2: Look, I'd be more than happy with two and two because, look, the the heat of probably playing, the heat are on, like, as inconsistent as the Nets have been of late. and yep. you know, They have a higher ceiling. They've got more star talent, Bam at bio, Jimmy Butler, these sort of guys. But the Nets have that cushion that was provided for them early in the season, and they've had some some good games here and there. Two and two, give me three and one, give me four and O, oh, Nick. I want the Nets to go on a run. Find the good things, do more of them better. Look, it's just, it's just simple. Like, let's just get the ball into McHale's hands. Let's, let's let things cook a little bit. Let's find some minutes for Utah. Uh, and let's get those Ws on the board because, you know, we want to have a bit of cushioning. We want to finish with the 5 say, you know, maybe go up against the Cavs. They could be a, a future matchup in the playoffs. Or we could come up against, you know, you know the Heat at some point or in, in a playing tournament or something like that. So get, playing well against these teams is going to be – Season-defining, Nick. I'm putting it out there. I'm not trying to be Stephen A or first takey, but this is a a massively defining stretch of the season for the Nets.
1: And like you said, it's about getting that cushion because there are going to be winnable games a little bit further down the line. But this stretch right now, you want to try to establish yourself that if you have an off night and you catch a loss to a lesser team, it's not going to kill your chances. And obviously... Playoff and playing, in my opinion, are a pretty big deal in terms of the difference. I think you want to get that playoff spot. I think that means something. It's more of an achievement than kind of squeezing in in the playing game. Big time, Nick. But, Jack, anything else before we get out of here? Nah,
2: I don't really have any ma- many Moses Brown thoughts, Nick. We'll see if he plays for the Nets. It's sort of like Dayron Sharp 2.0, but a little bit taller and a little bit better of a defender.
1: I think he has some real size and obviously veteran experience. I think you and I both appreciate the Nets using that roster spot to potentially bringing a backup big or just try to find somebody that could potentially fit in the future of this Nets team. But as always, big thanks to everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms.